sitting there, the beautiful redhead. Uh, her name is Rebecca, and we met in Bible college, and she was, uh, she was gracious enough to say yes. And though if you ask her, she will tell you that the first date we went on was a Sadie Hawkins. So I don't know how that, how that works for my, my benefit. Let's take your Bible. Go to John chapter 4 this morning. John chapter number 4, if you would. John chapter 4. We're going to do some reading first to get kind of just a feel of where we're going here in the Scripture. John chapter number 4, and we'll start in verse number 1. It's a familiar story. Is the story that we typically call the woman at the well. And let's read, if you would, in verse number 1. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. And there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy meat. Then said the, saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If thou knowest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. And the woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From, thence, uh, from whence then hast thou this living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? And Jesus answered and said to her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up unto everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this living water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband and come hither. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, and that saidest thou truly. The woman said unto him, Sir, I, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh, when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit 
and in truth. And the woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When, when he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And upon this came his disciples. Now watch this. And they marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? And the woman left her water pot, and went her way into the city, and saith to the men, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. Now, the story here in John chapter 4 creates a, a contrast to John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, Jesus sits down with a, a Pharisee, a, a well-educated man by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus has a deep theological discussion with Jesus. But as Nicodemus, his story closes out, we see no immediate decision. But this woman, the Samaritan, when Jesus calls on the carpet her life and shows her all things that ever she did, it was enough to convince her this is the Christ. And now this Samaritan, and the value of that is important because the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. The Samaritans were uh, a group of people that developed... Uh, in, uh, under the Assyrian Empire, there were Gentiles that had been brought into the region and intermarried with the Jews that had remained of the Old Testament kingdom of Israel, northern Israel. And so the Jews in Jesus' day, they viewed the Samaritans as lesser people, lesser value. The Samaritans had even developed their own culture, their own traditions. They held the five books of Moses, rejected the rest. They had their own temple, which a hundred years before had been burned uh, by the Jewish leaders. This Samaritan woman, though, she responded with great faith. And because of her faith, she ran back to the city of Sychar and told everyone she could see, <laughs> everyone she could find, this man told me everything I ever did is not this the Christ. We come back to Jesus' disciples. They had gone into the city to buy meat. Can you, can you picture for a moment the, the, the disciples? They are not where they would have wanted to be. It was an unorthodox place. It wasn't unheard of to travel through Samaria. It was the shortest trade route from Galilee to Jerusalem. But good Jews did not typically go through Samaria. So here they were following a Jewish rabbi, following the Messiah, wondering what in the world they were doing in this place. And they come back, and, and, and John gives us a little bit of, of detail into what they were thinking. In verse 27, they marveled. They talked with the woman. Here's this Samaritan. Here's this woman. And even there is important to understand culturally uh, in that day, uh, women and men were not held on the same footing as they are uh, in our culture. So even then, the, the, the disciples just, they are seeing this conversation. It is so outside of the ordinary. It is so beyond what they would have participated in. They are shocked. They marvel. 
this is your missions month. This is the time in the year when your church has decided to focus on this area of world evangelism. And it's interesting to note in this story that there is a group of missionaries who have been brought into a foreign place, Samaria, and Jesus has to deal with their hearts. Notice, if you would, and we'll pray in just a moment, but verse 31, In the meanwhile his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. And he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Say not ye that there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, and notice this phrase, Lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white, already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal. And both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon ye bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman, which testified, he told me all that ever I did. Jesus is trying to prepare his disciples to take on the Great Commission, to go into all the world, to be missionaries, to preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. But before he could do that, he had to deal with their own hearts. And so he challenged them with a phrase, lift up your eyes. Change the way you look at this scenario. Change the way that you are viewing this circumstance. They saw Jesus talking to a woman and they marveled. But Jesus said, I want you to see the harvest, the fields that are white and all ready to harvest. I want to preach simply on that truth. Lift up your eyes, changing our perspective on missions. Father, help me now as I try to help this church and encourage them and this great endeavor, which is missions. We understand there are so many moving parts. There is the church that cooperates to send the missionary to the foreign field. There is the missionary that does the work of reaching that foreign field. And Lord, sometimes we've come to this subject of missions and we tend to lose focus on what you've actually called us to do. So, Lord, if I could just challenge these, these, these wonderful people, this great church, to really change the, how they focus, how, change how they look at missions. Maybe with some fresh eyes, they could lift up their eyes again and look on those fields and see that the harvest is plenteous. Lord, help me now. Pray if there's anybody here that doesn't know Jesus as Savior, that the gospel would be clearly presented and they'd understand and be born again. I ask these things in the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Jesus said to his disciples, Lift up your eyes. Change the way you're looking at this situation. Change the way you're looking at this scenario. 
you've come to Samaria. These are not people you would deal with. This is not the way you would look at, you know, this is not what you would normally do. But I'm calling you to something different. I'm calling you something above what you in your flesh would normally do. And when we consider this idea of missions, we consider this great commission, we have to see it in that light. This is something that we would not do in our flesh. We are very self-centered people. If if we're up to us, if, if the gospel sat really alone on our flesh's ability to pass it along, it would have died with the 12 disciples. But now, 2,000 years later, the same gospel continues to go out. The Holy Spirit working in the church, the power of the the Word of God being preached, lives are being changed, transformed, and, and people are following Jesus. And from time to time, it's as if the church had to have a reset button hit. If you go back and study church history, it's, 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 it's interesting. I challenge you to do that. Go back and look at the missionary movement of the uh, 1600s, 1700s. It was like this big reset button. Um, one of my mis- favorite missionaries to study, his name is William Carey. Anybody ever heard of William Carey? First Baptist missionary from England. Uh, his son, or his life would be a um, influence on the first Baptist missionary from America. His name was Adonai Judson. In William Carey's day, the mindset of the church was that if God would save the heathen, he would do it without our help. If the heathen truly wanted to be saved, if the Gentiles, if the world outside the church truly wanted to come to Christ, then they would just do it already. William Carey challenged that mentality and said, no, God does want to save them, and he wants to use us as human agency to go out and preach the gospel and reach the world with Christ. It was a reset button. And so this month is Missions Month for you. I I hope it's a reset button for you to lift up your eyes, to look on the fields, to see that they are white for harvest. I want to give you three areas to change our perspective of missions. Just, just to think. If, if, if you can walk out of those double doors this morning with just something to think about, that's what I hope would be accomplished here. Number one, we need to stop seeing missions as an obstacle and start seeing it as an opportunity. We need to stop seeing the Great Commission, missions, as an obstacle and start seeing it as a great opportunity. Have you turned on the news recently? <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> I had to stop for a while because it just, man, it, it'll bum you out. It gets, it gets a little heavy. It kind of gets old. It's like a broken record. You hear the same things over and over and over. Yes, the world is bad. Things are not good around the globe. But unfortunately, sometimes we as Christians, we get wrapped up in that and forget that we aren't a part of this world. We're just pilgrims. We're just passing through this world. We are part of a greater kingdom, the kingdom of God. We are called to be ambassadors in this world for that kingdom. And yet we cower. We shudder. We, we think, well, man, 
secular theology, you know, secular philosophy is just advancing. There are just less Christians than there used to be. The churches are shrinking. Everything is going bad. It's just not as easy to get the gospel out. We look around the world and say, oh, Islam is advancing. Oh, there are all these Buddhists. Oh, there are all these Hindus. Oh, there are all these people who don't believe in God. I was at a pastor's conference in Lancaster, and, and a statistic was given that in the next generation, you have this group called the uh, religious nuns, and we're not talking about Catholics, N-O-N-E, nun. They don't believe in anything. It, we're told in America that group will become the majority in a generation's time. And we can look at those things and say, man, the, 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 the Great Commission will never reach this world for Christ. Not with that thinking, we won't. But here's, here's the beauty of it. If you have a globe at home, go home, spin that globe, put your finger down, and so long as you don't hit a blue spot, you have hit somewhere where there are people that need Jesus. Anybody own their own business? I'm a business owners right now. And when you start working and building your business, you start building your business plan, you started studying the, the market, and you're wondering, is this market oversaturated with the business that I want to bring? That's a genuine concern. I, I have my own business. I'm a notary. And um, you know, that was something began to look at. You know, I saw in my area this lack for notaries in Silver Spring. So I said, hey, open market. I can make that. Guess what? There is an open market for Jesus. There's an open market for Jesus. You go out this, this building, and you go somewhere this afternoon, maybe you're going for lunch, maybe you got to run and pick something up at Walmart, I guarantee you that you are going to meet somebody who needs Jesus. That's not an obstacle. That's an opportunity. We look at the world and say, the world is so dark. That's an opportunity to shine the light. Now, here in Fernley, you have something we don't have in Silver Springs. It's called street lights and, <laughs> and people and Walmart. But anyway, uh, and businesses. Anyway, where we are, we're out on 95. The only street lights... There are like five street lights near the church, four of which are in the church parking lot. I mean, that's, that's just where it is. And uh, we go home, walk home from church. You know, we're right next door. We have reached that time on Wednesday nights. We got to pull out the flashlight because it is dark. You know, the flashlight in Silver Springs is much more effective than the flashlight here in Fernley. My light shines. You know, I pull, I, I, I have a strong flashlight. I can shine it from my house to the church and hit the wall of the church. You know, out here you, you shine it and it's like that far. Open opportunity. Not an obstacle. Not, not, not a wall to break over, but a, a, a place for you to stand and allow your light to shine. Man, that's encouraging for our missionaries. You have missionaries coming Every missionary that comes to your church is an opportunity for you as a church to send the gospel to a dark place that needs a light. 
We need to stop seeing missions as an obstacle and start seeing it as a beautiful opportunity. We look at certain countries in the world and we, we, we almost treat like they're a dirty word when they come out of our mouth. Russia. China. Iraq. Iran. We almost treat like, like, like they're just some dirty place. Hey, they're a place that needs Jesus. It's an opportunity. Missions is an investment. Missions is a chance for you to be a part of something so much bigger than yourself. So we have to see missions like that. According to an organization known as the Joshua Project, 42% of our world's population is completely unreached with the gospel. It means no gospel preaching church, no, many of them, no Bible in their own language. No witness at all. I remember um, I interned at a church in Marysville, California, and there was a couple there, and they're now missionaries in Thailand, but she is Thai. And began to talk with her, and, and, and let me also throw out, you know, she wasn't my age. Uh, they were in their 60s. Went to go be missionaries back to Thailand. We got to talking to her. Her name's Cammy, and, and Cammy was telling me about the gospel's effect in Thailand. And she said, We go to Thailand, and I can share the gospel with anybody, and it is new information to them. And they, they were, uh, I read one of their missionary letters some time back, and they had, they had gone to a village uh, south of where they were, and, and there was a woman wearing a, a cross necklace. And Cammie asked, are you a Christian? And the woman said, what is that? (laughs) Well, you're wearing a cross necklace. Oh, I I just thought it was pretty. Do you know who Jesus is? Who's Jesus? (laughs) Open opportunity. Open market. Open place. Sometimes uh, we we look at missions as this obstacle, this, this, this wall. No, no, no. It's an opportunity. We need to stop seeing missions as an obstacle and start seeing it as an opportunity. Number two, we need to stop seeing missions as commissioning and start seeing it as cooperative. And I, I know those those that's that's terminology and, and you know, but we 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 like to commission missionaries. We like to send them out. We like when when missionaries come through. And here's how it works in the average Baptist church: the missionary he feels called to go to the mission field. He gathers his family. They make hundreds of calls to hundreds of churches, hoping to be in maybe 60 of them in three to five years, presenting their their work, trying to tell people about their call to try and go to a place that doesn't know Jesus. They get to these churches. They got to put on their their you know hurrah to impress you and I to decide. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna commit to send you money to go and preach the gospel. After three to five years, hopefully, some, many, you know, many more years, others still don't even make it all the way, they finally get to the mission field only for us in the States to forget they even exist. The young family, who are they? Missionaries to Russia, never heard of them. We've supported them for 20 years. 
We like to commission missionaries. You go and do it so we don't have to. We as churches have become far too comfortable with expecting our missionaries to shoulder the entire burden of world evangelism. We need to see it not as just sending, but as partnering, as working together, cooperating together for the same goal on the same team. We look at missions in that regard. Is it any wonder that we are ineffective? By the way, these things say nothing of the horrendous expectations that churches levy on missionaries. We don't think of them until they post the one picture from the one family vacation they went on in six years and said, oh, is that really how you spend our missions money? Or the obnoxious questionnaires the missionary families get as they go from church to church? Some of them, hundreds of questions long to see if you even will come and present your work. I mean, and we, we as churches ask missionaries stupid questions. I know, like, you know, if you, if you ever went to school, your teacher said there's no such thing as a stupid question. Your teacher lied. There are such things as stupid questions. You know, missionaries are asked on letters, what does your wife wear to bed? None of your stinking business. That's what my, you know... We treat our missionaries like, I mean, our church in America, we're treating our missionaries like trash, like secondhand citizens. We forget about them. We don't even care what they're going through. And as I say some of these things, you may be thinking, wow, that, that's, that's horrible. But can, can I challenge you? Can, can, can I challenge you to stop for a moment and just take inventory of your own life? How much do you know about your missionaries? Are they married? How many kids do they have? What are, what are some of the hardships in the fields that they are in? Do you even remember where they are? You say, well, that's, that's the job of the pastor to remind us all. No, no, no. It's the job of every Christian. It's the job as the church as a whole. When missionaries come to your church, they present your work, and you as a church say, we're going to support you to go do what you need to do. The key is we. It's not just him. He's not the employer and they're the employees. No, they are partners together with you. Co-laborers together with you. Maybe you could challenge it. Pick one missionary family. And ask pastor, pastor, can I, can I get their prayer letter? Or maybe, you know, nowadays you just get on their email. It's not that hard. Most of them email. Print it out. Keep tabs on them. Maybe, maybe one missionary family you can put on your fridge and remember to pray for them. We've got to see missions not as just commissioning. I'm going to send you to do my job but it's cooperative. Let's not expect our missionaries to do what we are unwilling to do. You know, Pastor, you know. 
you've seen missionaries, they, they get sent to the field, and it's almost like we expect them in America to get to the mission field, and within three years before they have to come back on furlough, we expect them to have a healthy, thriving church with a Bible college and a Bible translation and, you know, branch and, and you know, raised up 20 other guys to start other churches. Are our churches in the United States doing that? And I'm not saying that's realistic. I'm saying we have to start seeing this idea of missions not as I'm going to make you do my responsibility in reaching this world for Jesus Christ, but I want to help you and partner with you to accomplish this as a team. Stop seeing missionaries as commissioned agents, but rather as cooperative partners. And let me give you a few practical things for that. Uh, and, and I know I've already said a few things, but l- let me add to that. Um, pray regularly for your missionaries. Maybe get a list of them if you, you know, on your prayer list, but pray regularly for your missionaries. That is one of the most important things you can do for them. Ask any missionary, what is it that you can do? we can do for you? They will say, number one, you've got to pray for us. Because they know where the power lies. They know where their help comes from. It, it, it's not your dollars that they're needing. It's the hand of God on their ministries and helping them and equipping them to do what they need to do. Pray for them regularly. And guess what? You can do that for free. It doesn't cost you a dime to sit down or kneel or, or just as you're out on a walk, pray for your missionaries. Um. And maybe this is some uh, pastor. I don't know exactly how you do missions in your church, but present their needs to the, to the church regularly. So at our church, we have what we call missionary minute, and different families of our church have uh, have um, signed up to be responsible to bring a prayer letter from a different missionary and read it to the church. This is how this missionary is doing. You know, this is what the letter they gave us from the last month. This is what they're up to. It's encouraging to us. It really is. You know, we hear uh, Mary and all at our church stand up and read about the Board family in Cambodia. But present their needs regularly. Keep that in front of the church. Um, you know, this this one may be you know just as as a church in the whole. Be intentional about who you support. Be intentional about who you support. It's important. You know, Pastor mentioned you're going to have a business meeting about missionaries. You should be there. You really should. Now, if your church is anything like our church, business meetings are the least attended events out of anything. I mean, prayer meetings have more attendance than business meetings at our church. It's always interesting that they don't like you know, the people that didn't show up to the business meeting or are unhappy about the results of the business meeting. But your church gets to decide together who you're going to support as missionaries, who you're going to be partnering with. You should have a part in it. You should, you should be there. You should get to know what your church is doing in the area of missions. Be intentional. Um, sometimes less can be more. I'm just giving bullet points here. I was, uh, when I was preparing this message, I called one of my dear friends, his name's Nate Hudson, he's a missionary that we support in Brazil, and said, Nate, you know, help me out here. What are some things you would say here? And he said, you know what, one of the most important, one of the most helpful things to me is every now and then I get a text message, and he gave the guy's name, gave the guy's church, he says, every now and then I just get a text message from him, or a WhatsApp message from him that says, 
Hey, Brother Nate, just want you to know I'm praying for you. He said, you don't know how many times I've gotten that message and said, man, that's what I need to get up and get going with my day today. And you may perhaps be sitting there and think, well, I can't do anything meaningful for the cause of missions. Can you simply type, hey, brother so-and-so, I am praying for you, and hit send? What, that takes 30 seconds? You can do that. You can partner with the missionaries. You can be involved in this area of missions. It's cooperative. It's not just commission and forget, but partnering together as a team. If possible, and you should go. That's something I'd love to do. I am not been able to yet go on a missions trip. I wanted to go uh, before I was married as a, as a college student. Every time I went to go, God closed the door. But man, one of these days, I want to go on a missions trip. But maybe you can go. Maybe you could visit one of your missionaries on the field. Maybe you can help support them. We have uh, at our church, one of our, uh, our deacons, his name is Rick Brown. He has a ministry he supports in Uganda and does short-term mission trips there. But if possible, you go. Look for specific needs or uh, specific missionaries to help at different times. I'm going to give this illustration of something that I regret as a pastor and as a church, not something we're proud of. There are many, several years back, there was a missionary in Honduras. And we were trying to go through a debt retirement. So, you know, for us, it was not something we were able to do, but I wish we could have. He needed 3000 bucks for a ceiling for his building. And he was asking his supported churches, can, can we just come up with $3,000? Brother Lynn, he didn't... He didn't get to stay on the field by the end of that year. Now, is, is there a special need you can help with? Maybe, maybe, maybe it's something as simple as, hey, you know, these missionaries, it's their first Christmas away from home. Maybe you could send them a care package. And these are things I'm sure your church is already doing, but maybe, maybe this just gets the brain going and saying, hey, I could be a part of this. I can help. I can cooperate. I can partner with our missionaries. Number three. So we need to stop seeing missions as an obstacle and start seeing it as an opportunity. Stop seeing missions as commissioning. Like we're going to send and forget, but cooperative. We're going to partner together. Number three. Stop seeing your missionaries as passive interests, but rather as personal investment. The last two points mean nothing if you don't catch this third one. Do not let Missions Month come and go where it stirs you for a moment, then as soon as November hits, we forget about it. But I want to challenge you individually to look at this area of missions and say, what can I do? How can I keep missions in front of my mind? How can I look at this harvest field of of reaching the world for Christ on a regular basis? And how can I or my family be personally involved? Perhaps you've been here this morning and you've heard everything else I said and said, you know, that'd be good for somebody else. That's just not for me. Let other people take care of it. But that's just not my gig. 
No, my, what I do at church, I, like, I want to come, I'll sit on Sunday morning, I'll hear the pastor preach, and then that's it. I'm gone for the rest of the week. No. Please, no. Can I beg you? Can I plead with you? What can you personally do in the area of missions? And that's going to look different for every person. Perhaps you are sitting here and you think, well, I know what this family has done for missions. I know what so-and-so is doing for missions, but I just can't do that. I didn't ask you what so-and-so can do for missions. Ask what can you do? Personally, you, your family, your spouse, you. It's a personal interest. It's something that, that needs to switch from just being passive. Oh, well, that's, that's, our church does that, but I care about that. I'm involved in that. I'll give this illustration. I think they'll be all right. We've got a family in our church, and I'll, I'll not give their names because I, I do want to be careful there, but um, they have a personal interest in one of our missionaries. The name is Fisa. This family, they give to missions as a whole. Overall, they give a certain amount every month, just in general to missions. But every month, on top of their in general to missions, they have a specific set, you know, a specific amount that they've said, we want to give this just to make sure FISA can stay on the field. We are praying for FISA. We care about FISA. FISA is the missionary that we really want to help. That was something they personally did for missions. When I was a teenager, I was in high school, and our pastor uh, at the time was preaching about missions. And he said, you know, you, you teenagers, instead of having all these posters and, and pictures of, of, of uh, sports stars and, and singers, why don't you have some missionaries on your wall? And that was something I said, hey, I'm a teenager. I don't have income. I can't give to missionaries. But you know what I can personally do for missionaries? It's I can pray for them. So I got these uh, the prayer cards. Whenever a missionary would stop by, I got their prayer cards. I had a bunk, you know, I was a twin, so we have bunk beds, right? I'm still a twin, but uh, we have bunk beds. And um, my bunk bed, my bunk, the whole wall, it's just missionary cards. You know, I, I, I first got the idea of putting mom with, st- you know, silly putty. Um, that didn't work. <laughs> my brother woke up with missionary prayer cards on his head, but uh, you know, I got some thumbtacks. I just put them on the wall. And every night, I picked one missionary that we had in our church, and I prayed for it. As a teenager, I found a way that I could personally be involved in missions, not as a passive interest, but as a personal interest, a personal investment. What can you do? How can you personally be involved? in the air of missions. Lift up your eyes. Look on the fields. As as Jesus was speaking to His disciples there in John, and He challenged them with this this idea of of this this harvest. He said, He that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto eternal life. But notice this, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. Very agricultural society, Jesus used a lot of those illustrations. And typically, if you have a garden or you have a farm or you have a field, you, you sow, and then later on, when harvest comes, you're going to have to hire out some laborers to help you get the harvest. And even if you can get all the seeds in by yourself, you need help 
bringing in the harvest. But on harvest day, you don't have the harvesters standing, you know, separate from the people that plant the seed and, and saying, well, pfft, you know, that's what you did and this is what we did. No, they're both celebrating together in the harvest that was brought in. There's this cooperation, there's this teamwork effect here. The same is true for missions. They're going out. They are reaping the harvest of souls. They are seeing lives change. You get to rejoice in that. Why? Because you've invested in that. You've had a part in that. You've stopped seeing missions as an obstacle, but rather an opportunity. You've stopped seeing missionaries as somebody you commission, but somebody you cooperate with. And you've stopped seeing missions as a passive interest, but a personal investment. Let's stand together. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Let will turn over to pastor to finish the invitation time here. But let's think on these things. <clears throat> Dear Lord, as we bring our service to an end, and the challenge has, has been made. And Lord, I ask that you would challenge our thinking. Um, oftentimes it takes... Um, a fresh look to see that oftentimes we uh, become complacent or forgetful. And Lord, it's it's a good thing to be challenged in our thinking. And I'm so very thankful that, that we've been challenged this morning. With every head bowed,